I want to thank everyone for being here today. I'm Jundo. We have some people here from many places. Bion is in Spain, Colon is in Brazil, Cote is in Germany. We have some people in the United States. And of course, we have several people from California who came with Mary. And most importantly, we have Mary, Mary Mosin. This is your second visit to the Tree Leaf Zendo. And uh, you're our first return guest. I want to thank you. I was hoping that today's talk would not be necessary because it was about the political situation in 2016. And my biggest worry was that it would be meaningless by now. And unfortunately, uh, it's anything but. We still live in such a divided world, divided countries. All the countries I'm looking at, Spain and Brazil are included. Certainly, uh, boy, you have a few political tensions there and uh, things get quite hot. Well, that's what uh, Mary wrote about in her wonderful essay, I Hate Somebody, our former, some, you know, that guy. First off, I want to say thank you, uh, Mary, for being here. Everything okay? Can you hear okay? Yes, fine. We, we have a fancy microphone. Oh, very good. Very good. We hear you great. Uh, Mary and I are both members of the bar. One time I had the idea we would start a, a Zen law firm in which uh, we tell all our clients that money is not important. <laughs> ah, here is a Jinkan. Jinkan, how are you feeling? Jinkan's been uh, had uh, just uh, his surgery just recently. You doing okay? Okay, well, you, you hang in there today, okay? And uh, now we will go to the uh, Vallejo Zen Center, Zenki Mary Mosin, who uh, hopefully can do a little to calm all our uh, agitated hearts with all that's going on in the world. Thank you again for being here, Mary. You're welcome. I don't, I don't know that I'm going to calm anybody's heart. My heart is not calm. So I understand you've been studying the, uh, the, the essays in, uh, what is it, Zen Practice of Challenging Times or something, and mine was titled, I Hate Donald Trump, which I still do, I'm sorry to say. And I've talked about it here in uh, Vallejo at the Clearwater Zendo many times. Jundo, um, I, I disagree with you a little bit that, I, that it was ever irrelevant because I think it's partly about, at base, it's about dealing with people that are difficult for us, that are challenging and maybe frightening. And uh, we probably all have such people in our lives in addition to the politics of the day. And now I probably wrote that not that long after he won the election. I don't remember, frankly. And I didn't go look at when the book was published. But it was a while ago, and now we know what the consequences of his election were. I think when I wrote that, I didn't know quite what was going to happen, and now I know some of it. And I can feel it talking about it. I can feel the knot in my stomach. And I have spent a significant amount of time thinking about what do I, what is this hatred? And I see a lot of it, which I think is common among us people. What is it, Bunpo? Foolish common people, that's us. My hatred grows out of fear. And I am afraid of Donald Trump, for example. There are other people that I'm afraid of, too. And when I'm afraid, I am often reactive. And I demonize the person whom I'm afraid of. And or I make jokes about them. And there are plenty of Donald Trump jokes around, as I'm sure you know, no matter where you live. I suppose I have, I, excuse me, I have similar feelings about Bolsonaro. 
for example, and what has been happening with the rainforests and the resources in Brazil. And I won't give you my list. We all have lists, I imagine. I hope they're short. But the fear that I feel, it's, e it's easier to hate him, to hate Donald Trump, and to make jokes about him, and to rail against him. It's easier than to feel the fear. And now when I'm talking, I can feel it. I can feel it right, right here in my gut. There's a, and there's an impulse uh, to kind of cringe, to protect this part of me. So I work with that. And the major part of that essay was about listening. And that's always useful to learn how to listen, deeply listen. And I don't know what you've been talking about, about the essay or arising out of it, but that's a question that I have. So of the, the folks that have been studying it, what does listening mean to you? And I, do you know how to raise your hand so the little yellow uh, glove shows up? Because I can't, I can't, I can only see a few of you now. But I think if you raise your hand, you come to the top. Do I need to explain, or do you need to explain to people how to do that? If anybody has uh, an impression from your book, raise your hand, and I'll call on them. And oh, okay, don't all leap up at once. <laughs> you know, it's really helpful. If you know, if if you there aren't any stupid questions, and if you have a question. It's often the case that a lot of other people in the room have the have the same question, but they're too shy to ask. So it's Nico is the brave one. You go first. Nico, turn your mic on. Hi. First of all, I just want to say um, thank you for even bringing up the topic because it's so honest to say I hate so and so. And I always have this feeling that I am not allowed to do that because, you know, I'm supposed to be above all that. And it's just extremely difficult to deal with these feelings. And so you ask, what does it mean to listen? And I guess that is the question because it, it's, it's so difficult. I find it very difficult to listen without turning off my internal reaction as though li really listening is going to sort of cancel my 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 oh so precious opinion so it's just it's just it's like it's it's yeah it's very difficult so that is so that is the question really like how do i listen <laughs> well welcome to the club <laughs> You know, we've been talking about the precepts here, and you know, there's one that's we translate. I I vow not to harbor ill will, but it's often translated as I vow not to be angry. And I mean, we all fail at the precepts all the time, and they're koans for us for the rest of our lives. Not to be angry seems. To me, I mean, I, I, uh, I mean, I used to be a litigator. So anger comes easy to me. I'm sorry to say, but my practice in dealing with that is to not deny my anger, because if I don't, if I deny it, it's going to come up anyway, and it's going to bite me or bite somebody else in the butt. <laughs> or both. We call that leaking. Leak. So I need to know it. I need to allow it. And that means experiencing it in my body, not just, you know, not just saying to myself in my head, oh, I feel angry. And, and trying to never say, you made me angry. 
because I take care of that myself. At any rate, to know the anger in my body, because if I will allow it to arise, it can abide and then it can and will pass away. And my experience is if I do not allow it to arise, that's when the trouble starts. I don't, I'm not suggesting that you act from it. I am suggesting that you experience it and um, don't, don't deny it or don't, and don't, you know, you said you're not supposed to feel it. You know, I'd say, you know, don't get caught or escape into emptiness. You know, oh, we're all one. There's no me and there's no you and there are no things. And so anger, not anger, yes, no, doesn't matter. Well, we live in this world and it does matter. And I am capable out of my fear, I'm capable of hurting people. I'm capable of making things worse. Well, my vow is to not harbor that anger, but to just allow it to arise and abide and pass away and learn what I can learn from it. And sometimes if I kind of let the tape, the anger tape roll on to its conclusion, you know, it, it usually is about my own self-clinging. You know, it's like, how, how could you do that to me? Me? Well, it happened. And it, it you know, wasn't necessarily not, well, I, don't, I sort of say it's certainly not personal with Donald Trump. I think maybe it is somewhat personal, not personal to me, he doesn't know I exist, but um, personal to people like me. And that's part of my fear. I fear that I am hated and it's scary to be hated. And it's scary to have somebody turning the hatred of a group of people towards me, me and mine. So, that's a that's a short version. I, I I didn't I didn't see you, Nico. I'm sorry. I, it, I a lot of times on Zoom, the person speaking comes to the top, but that didn't happen. So let's see if I can find you. You'd be the one that was that's not muted, right? I I did oh. remute myself. So. <laughs> well, now you're at the top. Now I can now I can see you. We still hear this little you know tile, but I can see. <laughs> anyway, I hope that's useful. That that's a major part of listening to me is is listening to this one. There's a wonderful definition of um, compassion, which is stay close and do nothing. And I understand that to me. Stay close to this one first, and then also the other. But maybe don't make an other of them. Keep them close, but not, you know, not doing anything, not trying to, as we do, fix things, or um, you know, convince the other person that they're wrong. But just as you listen know what's going on in here so that the reactivity is acknowledged and not acted out. And it's much a matter of the breath. My teacher, Mel Weissman, told me years ago, I, I it was probably, I dealt with a lot of death and dying in my first few years of practice, my parents each died and some other people and we talked about death a lot and I sat with it a lot and I don't remember what it was but there was some great fear coming up it may have been I was probably my fear of my own death or not being whatever anyway I was telling him about it and uh that uh, that I could feel it in here and and he said um breathe into it just breathe into it 
and my face must have changed. And he um, slapped the cushion in front of him, I think, and, and he, or leaned or he leaned with me, and I'm going to shout something. He leaned at me and he said, I'm not telling you to repress it. <laughs> and uh, I, it, I'm sure that's what my face showed because that's well, what I thought he was saying. So I said, okay. <laughs> and I went back to my cushion and I did that. I breathed into it, even though, you know, it felt like this part of me was raw, you know, and so breathing it out just felt that much worse. And it was a transformative experience, and I will leave it at that, and you might try it. And you can do that in the middle of a difficult conversation. You know, you don't have to make it so obvious that, you know, you're, and you'll go, <gasps> <laughs> just breathe in completely and then breathe out completely a few times if you feel if there's something hard to deal with that's coming at you. See what happens. So is that useful? Do you have any? No. Yes, it is very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is uh, Jindo. I'm going to take a... Um... A quick one. Um, I, I think it's wonderful in our tradition and, and your honesty that th it's okay. Sometimes we're sad. It's okay. Sometimes we're angry. It's okay. Sometimes even we hate. This is just to be human. Uh, okay, we we wake up with the blues sometimes. Whatever it is, we're uh, we're worried. But I, I think you're also going to say there's a time we can go too much. Oh, I'm not talking about wallowing in it. Yeah, how do you know when you've gone too far with the hate and the anger? What do you do then? Stop. <laughs> but I mean, I just think that, um, I think you know, uh, the body knows. And we try, this is the way I talk about this a lot. You know, we try to just wobble rather than lurch. And, uh, you know, the Uchiyama has this wonderful, and he says, you know, is this Sazen? No, that's not Sazen. Sazen is like this. It is, you know, you think, and then you, and then you settle, and then you think again, and then you settle. Your knee hurts, and then <laughs> miraculously it doesn't. And then your back hurts. And, if we're paying attention, which is what it's all about, right? Sit down, get quiet, pay attention. If we're paying attention, we know if we're wallowing in it. And we also may well get a, sort of a dope slap from the universe. You know, you'll, you'll find out you're wallowing in it because it goes on too long. You know, even, even grieving which can be, you know, could go on for a couple of years if it's somebody really close to you. But at some point you, you realize that you're kind of clinging to it or defining yourself by it. And then that's a problem. And then you have to pull, you need to pull back. So I think if you're paying attention to your, to your body as well as your mind, and you're paying attention to your heart, you can figure this out. It's also a good reason to have a teacher and maybe some good spiritual friends so that, you know, you know you've, been, uh, you've been complaining about your ex for six months now. Maybe it's time to move on. So, no, we should never, we should never wallow in whatever it is. And we do sometimes. I know that I sometimes wallow in my hatred of Trump. I mean, I, I tell Trump jokes. I love Trump jokes. I watch the late night monologues sometimes. I don't know what there is in other countries, but I'm sure that there are some parallels and I'm sure that Trump is in the ear news a lot too, I'm sorry to say. I was in Spain a year ago, but I didn't, I didn't watch TV. So that's, and that's the closest I know. Anyway, is that useful? Very good. Anyone else raise your hand if you have a question?
I'll also mention if we have some people uh, watching at home, one way, if they send me an email at uh, jindotreeleaf at gmail.com, I can ask Mary. But anyone here, just wave your hand if you have a question, comment. If you're angry at Mary, she's, she'll, she, you can take it. Yeah, if you love Donald Trump, you know, feel free. <laughs> Well, that's a very good question. Um, all right. Now, I, you know, we think that uh, all the Zen Buddhists in in North America are, uh, what we say, uh, blue state, latte drinking, BMW driving liberals. But it's not true. We discovered that the last uh, election. I've got uh, some folks who are pretty conservative, including some people who support Donald Trump. And they do it because they're convinced it's for the best of the country and uh, that uh, they believe in what he stands for. And they don't see things quite the way that I think you're seeing it. And I think, frankly, most of the people here probably see it. I, I'm not. But uh, what do you say to them, Mary? That's where the listening comes in. And I, I have relatives that are Trumpers in the, in the Midwest. And the, the listening, I gave you some examples in the, the essay and uh, just, I had happened to be listening to a TED talk, which was, I don't remember exactly, they have like, you know, themes or something and, and uh, um, it was something about communication and it had, there was a woman who was black civil rights activist leader and she is, had a relationship with a guy uh, who was uh, the Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. And they used to talk on the phone, I think. I don't think they lived near each other, but at any rate, they would talk. And basically, she said all she did was listen. She listened to him. And eventually, he quit the Klan and renounced it. Mm -mm -mm. And she was asked about that. How'd you do that? And she said, I just listened. And there was a woman who was a member of that, I forget the name of the church. It's a, I think it's a Baptist church, but at any rate, they, they, they I don't know how well known they are in other parts of the country, other parts of the world. And I haven't heard from them lately, but they used to go to funerals of soldiers and picket and yell about how evil they were and I, I forget what and it wasn't an anti-war thing i don't remember what it was about but at any rate they were just you know mean-spirited and this woman was raised in this faith and she said that she finally realized it was not her idea of a loving God that they were following and she she left it. And she said that what turned her was people online listening to her and simply asking respectful questions, but not with anger or hatred in, in them. And as she responded to the questions, she came to realize that this wasn't how she wanted to be. And so she left that church, which I think was really hard. I think it was also kind of her, her family's event. And there was another one, which I'm forgetting, but it, it, the point is that that listening made a big difference. And it's also another reason to know yourself is that in the process, you know others. Now, I know how threatened I feel by uh, MAGA folks. I know how scared I am. I know how reactive I feel. And I, I can remind myself that they probably feel something similar. They feel threatened by me. They feel threatened by the direction this country is going in, which is multicultural and multicolored and multi everything and they were probably very maybe equally frightened i don't know but frightened when obama got elected 
And if I can remember what it feels like to be othered, then I can have more, I can listen more sympathetically. It doesn't mean that I change my views. It doesn't mean that I agree. But it, and it helps me be more respectful and more empathetic when I listen because it must be frightening. I also mentioned at the end Arlie Hochschild's book, What is it, Strangers in Their Own Land, about people, you know, white middle and working class people in uh, southeastern Louisiana, which is uh, very polluted oil, plastics, you name it, country. And she actually had a focus group there through somebody, a student of hers whose mother knew some people. She had a focus group of people um, who were, I guess, Tea Party people. And she got to know them and she, she met with them and she listened to them and she visited them and they, she um, went to their barbecues or whatever, the family things. And these were white people. And you know, she came to know their pain and their, their difficulties. You know, they, they felt like they, they had to put up with the petrochemical industry because it paid their salaries and there wasn't any other work really. So even though it polluted their streams and if this horse fell into a canal or something and, and died almost immediately just because of all the stuff in there. And so, uh, and it pained them, it pained them to lose these things. They thought they, they, they lived in paradise, but no more. And they also saw that, you know, they were, you know, straight, white Christians, da, 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 da. And here were, in their experience, here were these black and brown and disabled and queer and I don't know what all people getting in line in front of them. You know, they were following the steps and didn't matter. These people got in ahead of them and they, you know, this is, they were talking about it as the replacement theory then, but that's kind of, that's kind of how they felt. And it does hurt. And if you are, if that's your background, it is scary. And, um, well, I see you, but just a second, I just want to finish this thought. Is it Loella? Yes. Um, anyway, when my husband and I both were uh, in law school together and we were traveling and we came back and we started looking for jobs and this was in the early 70s and I got a job with legal aid right away and he was looking for that kind of job, but he was a white male he wasn't in the top two of his class and so he couldn't get a job like that because they were looking for minorities and women or maybe the editor of the law review and that was about it and he had to take a job that wasn't wonderful and it was painful and we both understood it and we thought it was appropriate and it hurt so it's, that's something that i actually know personally and it helps me to be more empathetic. So, well. I'm a newbie, so I would just say on the front end, I, I'm uncertain about anything. But, <laughs> I, but I, I wanted to just say something about the Westboro Church. As it happens, I live in that town. The people from that, from that church attend the college where I teach. And so it, I've lived here about 11 years. And so it was kind of some of the things they do in town are probably less hurtful than going to someone's funeral. You know, just socially, that that's a, a, a terrible uh, thing. But what I've discovered is that the harm really comes from the other person feeling insecure and vulnerable. And, and so the, the, the members of this group are lawyers. 
they know exactly how many feet to stand from the building to do their, their protests. And so really, you know, when you meet them on campus, you don't know who you're dealing with because they, they look and think in many ways just like everybody else. And so that the, the thing that I thought about, you know, when I read that part of your essay is that really these groups are alerting us to where we're insecure. And so, you know, I've, I've tried what you explained about, you know, breathe into the pain. You don't deny your pain, but, you know, maybe it's because I'm too immature. I have to go back to, may you be happy, may you well, starting with myself. You know, the meta practice always start with yourself because, because I found that if, if I didn't realize it, but I was really insecure on a certain day and I have a reaction with a certain kind of individual, then I, I'm just into it for months. But if I had, you know, because of maybe that first reaction and kind of went, got back to working on, you know, trying to find peace in myself and I have a similar reaction with someone else and it's negative, but I like, okay, I will do this and move on. And so, so it's maybe, maybe this group was trying to alert the world to, it seems it's gotten worse, the more anti-trans, you know, kind of the more divisive, you know, kind of all the way to the right, all the way to the left kind of thinking. Maybe they were trying to alert us that all of us need to get more at peace with ourselves so that we can deal with these kind of things. That's my two cents. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I don't know if they were trying to alert us, but it, it that it, that experience should alert us. But there's a there's an old saying in uh, in Buddhism that uh, I think, especially in Tibetan Buddhism, that that uh, uh, an enemy is a great jewel, and that's partly because they do teach us. They teach us patience, which is I sometimes call dreaded patience practice, and they show us where our uh, trigger points are, you know, and they show us our self-clinging. They show us our ego and so on. And, and, uh, and you're right, the, the, uh, one of the things about listening to myself is knowing when I am feeling particularly reactive, there are times when I just should not engage because I'm going to hurt others, I'm going to get hurt myself. And knowing my triggers and knowing my, what are the words, what's the word I want? They're like little red or sometimes big red flags. I mean, if I start swearing a lot, then that's a trigger. To, that's something that I, I know that when I do it, I'm feeling um, thwarted or I'm feeling one down when I start talking faster, when I get louder, when I get aggressive in how I express myself. These are not just language things, even so much as body things, or when I want to, when I can feel um, uh, this feeling of urgency, of leaning in, that's when I know that I need to lean back and slow down and give it some breath and maybe disengage even if, if, if giving it some breath doesn't work, then I probably need to find a way to stop. Just stop. Because it's not the kind, it's not the kind of person I want to be. And I have learned a lot from people who are uh, scary to me. And, and one of the things I've learned is to take my own power back. Because when I'm feeling, uh, as I say, you know, one down or, or weak, uh, then that's when I get defensive. Like, what do you do? Big news, we all do that. Now, I know this one, and therefore I know Juno. I know you, I know hate. We're not exactly the same, but we're similar enough. So thank you, yes. 
um, there, there's a what well, I, I can't resist. There's a there's a one of those stories which I don't even remember where it came from, but uh, an old old story. There was a, a monk in a monastery that drove everybody crazy, and they the the other monks just couldn't stand him, and he was really difficult and really hard to deal with, and so on. And he they they finally. Um, gave him so much grief that he left the monastery and the abbot went running back, running after him and begged him to come back because he was so good for the monks because he taught them patience practice. So, but I just, I don't think, I don't think that um, there's so much, you know, I wouldn't say that the people in that church are meaning to teach us that. But that doesn't mean we can't learn it and that we should learn it. I mean, there's things that Mel taught me, my teacher taught me that he didn't mean to be teaching me, that he did teach me, and they were, they're useful. I have a question that I want to make sure to get in. It was sent to me um, before we came today, and it might be our discussion to the power of three. Uh, we have one priest who's in Ukraine right now and he's not in military service he's a little older he's been mostly active with refugee activities and he's not exactly on the front lines but he's been counseling buddhists mostly buddhist young men who are in ukraine who are very angry very scared but want to go fight and they know that fighting means they have to give over to violence, they have to be give over to the anger, and they have to kill. And some of them are, are trying to be pacifists, and but some of them want to go defend their country. What do you say to them, Mary? I don't know. I, I would say that coming from a place of anger is not useful. And acting out from anger is not useful. And it could get you killed when you didn't need to be killed too. But it's also true. Well, I mean, this was, you know, we, we say you know, that the, one, the bodhisattva way to understand the precepts includes uh, in, regarding not killing, you know, the sort of the glib thing is, well, if you, if you killed if you could stop somebody from killing 500 people by killing that one person, uh, that's a bodhisattva would do that and take responsibility for having killed. No, I, I, I sort of believe that, though I can't imagine actually me being uh, doing that. I don't know. I, I, I doubt that I'll ever be tested, so I don't. I don't have to know. And so I would be very hesitant to tell them, except to work with them about not being reactive and whether they're willing to take responsibility for killing and that they're going to have to make their own decision about it. You know, is, is this, you know, is, is killing a, a I started to say a Wagner group person, but I think that makes it a little easier. <laughs> Just killing a poor Russian conscript, you know, uh, saving a hundred Ukrainians. Is that okay? Is that a good thing to do? I mean, part of me says, yes, it is. You know, I find myself supporting that war and supporting the FBI. <laughs> the the cab the police. I mean, this is a strange chance. But anyway, that would I wouldn't try to answer it for somebody to know. I think you know, as with all the precepts, you must you must wrestle with it all your life and and come to your conclusions. You know, do you kill a mosquito or not? Well, what about if it's biting you? Well, what about when the ants come in your kitchen and and trash all your food? You know, do you kill them then? You kill them outside because they might come inside. You have to make those decisions and, and, and how you work with not killing, right? I, I have a smart mouth. So I work with 
not killing particularly with not sort of killing people's spirit by making a smart crack that comes to my mind. You know, so that's that's a primary thing for me. But I have to I have to figure out figure it out. So that's my response. And uh, it's not an answer. Uh, another question, comment? Raise your hand. Okay, I think you're just touching your nose there. That doesn't count. Huh? Anyone? You know, you Vallejo people, you, you haven't read this essay, at least not in a while, but if you have questions or something you want to say, um, please do. There's some people here too also, and they're not usually this shy. But they've heard all this stuff lots of times. Cohen, you're in uh, Brazil, which is also very, um, the politics is very unstable and divided. What, what, uh, what do you tell your people uh, when the, this comes up about feeling angry politically? Yes, uh, in fact, we are facing probably a very similar scenario as in the United States. And uh, um, this division was oh, is so deep that teared families apart. So there are parents that don't talk to their sons and daughters and uh, cousins that don't talk to each other anymore. And last, uh, last two years, we could see that happening in the at the end of the years, at Christmas, New Year's, uh, the families cannot be together anymore. So, and each each side of the, the, the this discussion accuses the other to create this division. Uh, people around me and at our sangha. We always try to remember that no matter of which side you are, humans create divisions anyway. So uh, we are living uh, this reality, this political reality of division. So let's be careful to not create another divisions over this. Um, if we can do that, it's like not uh, feeding uh, a fire with wood, and maybe this fire could be could extinguish uh, by itself. And also, we are trying not to. Um, I don't know where I read it. Maybe in uh, some uh, Pali Sutra, something like the one who carries. Uh, wood passes, uh, walks far from uh, fire, fire, something like that. Oh. And uh, so we try, we, we, we are trying hard to not be, we, we, we first to recognize we are vulnerable. Uh, when all of this started, it was very easy to accuse the others. Uh, how can you be so uh, radical? But now we see uh, it's just a matter of time and opportunity. Uh, we can fall in this radicalism also. So uh, we are practicing also um, avoiding um, social media and uh, too much news and uh, try to try to uh, receive and uh, try to. Uh, offer our attention to, to reading and uh, literature, to reading, okay, not be, stay a part of this world, but take care of not, uh, maybe, maybe one of the precepts about not dealing with intoxicants. Mm -hmm. we, are, we are considering um, the, the media, social media, mainly uh, intoxicants. 
And so uh, recognizing that we can't, we don't know how to, 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 to deal, deal with that. It's a very new and deep situation. But we can try, uh, put our effort not to create more divisions and recognize that we are vulnerable and everybody is vulnerable. And um, no matter which is your, the position of the others, we can, we can show them that don't be vulnerable. Don't put yourself in risk. Um, take care with things and informations you, you put inside your, your mind. doesn't matter if it's one side or other side. Um, don't, don't let people uh, feed this fire that is inside you. We are managing day after day. Like uh, Mary said, uh, there is a big concern about uh, environmental issues that make us very fearful. And what we can what we can do? Uh, sometimes it seems that the, the problem is so big that we cannot handle it anyway. But when we divided this problem in small parts and people that live with us don't tear apart the family thank you thank you Colm. thank you mary for remembering for uh, remembering about listening uh, you know i work with uh dharma work with the lawyers and we talk about this all the time but uh you reminded me of something that was uh taught to me years ago i, I was in a contract negotiation, I was representing a union against Stanford University. And uh, here's an example of, of uh, listening to my own language. So I went to a, a teacher of mine, a different, not Mel, but somebody else. And, and I told her, I was talking about this lawyer representing management. And I said, he lies and he cheats and he steals, he's evil. And she said, and I was joking, but then again, and she said, listen to your language. Listen to how much power you're giving up to him. And we talked about taking my power back and she had some uh, practices for that, which are useful. But she also suggested to me that I keep, when I looked at him, uh, keep reminding myself, this man does not want to suffer. This person, does not want to suffer. I don't want to suffer. He doesn't want to suffer. And that I find really useful because it's true for all of us. You know, nobody gets up in the morning and says, I think I'll be a jerk today. Sometimes we spend the day being a jerk, <laughs> but we don't get up meaning to do that. Nobody does. So, I think that's kind of part of what you're talking about, Colm, is just to remember that this person does not want to suffer. And also reminding myself that a lot of it is not personal unless I make it personal, which I'm quite capable of doing. But I like to think that I notice pretty soon nowadays and that that's my practice. It's not my practice is not to cut it off and it's not to deny it. It's to acknowledge my humanity and acknowledge my clinging. Like I said to you, you know, my, my rants, you know, end up with, you know, how can you do this to me? Or what about me? And that's it. And then I start laughing because it's unfortunate. I mean, it's, it's strange. It's our, our clinging is tragic. It's also funny. So I just wanted to see, I, I had a lot of notes and I thought, oh, they've been studying this. Let's just see what happens. So, oh, there's a, there's something I, I don't know how useful it is to you folks. I, I use it, the lawyers, we talk about it a lot, that there's a difference between anger and fierceness. You know, sometimes you do need to set a boundary. You need, do need to be, Fierce, you do need to say no. 
in those negotiations with Stanford. I even raised my voice sometimes. But the, once I took my power back and saw this guy on the other side as a human being, the, the whole thing changed. So, uh, but, but I, I was able to be fierce when I needed to. But it, and it, wasn't, it was not coming from a place of anger or rage or fear. You see, I think that uh, I define anger as that when it's, when you don't care about the consequences, you're just so enraged that you'll say whatever you can think of to uh, hurt the other person or gain advantage or whatever. And that's when you don't act. That's when you find some place to be quiet enough to let it arise. And if you need to let the rant play out in your mind, feel free, but don't act from it. And I hope that distinction is clear enough. I'm thinking we should stop. It's, it's after 11. If um, there's any pressing question, maybe we can persuade Mary to take one more question before we go. Anyone have something? Really on their, their mind? Any burning desires? That's 12 step talk. All right, well, I guess we'll, we'll just take this as uh, inspiration to uh, uh, get through uh, whatever the news brings tomorrow. Mary, <laughs> Mary uh, leave us with uh, any closing words before we go. Oh, I wish I could remember the exact quote. Um, I don't know, Junu, do you know the one from the Dhammapada where, you know, hatred follows hatred, shadow of a wheel or anyway, no, so that I don't, I can't remember. I, uh, I just, uh, I love the Metta Sutta, let, not, let no one do anything that the wise would reprove, and none that by anger or hatred wish harm to another. That's my vow. I think that's a, a lovely place to close today. We're all subject to anger and uh, yes, hate sometimes, but let's uh, keep it in the wise perspective that Mary and Cohen as well today were able to show us. So I will just say uh, thank you. Mary, thank you for coming. Thank you. And we're going to have you back for a third visit sometime. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you all, uh, visitors from Vallejo and all our tree leaf folks. And uh, we'll just say good morning, good night to everyone. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye.